Turn your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Beginning in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. My heart has been so blessed today. Just thrilled. I love the Psalms of Zion, don't you? It is calmly to praise the Lord. It is a good thing to praise the Lord. God loves to be praised. And we get blessed when we praise Him. And I like all this music. It's been precious. In second, in uh, First Corinthians chapter 9, may we bow together in a moment of prayer. Our Father, our hearts have been just blessed tonight in praising you in song and testimony. Thank you for that training hour where so many people got up and spoke of the things they're grateful for. Now use the Word of God to strengthen and encourage us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, verse, beginning in verse 10, 19, For though I am free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. To the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law, that not being myself under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law is without law, being not without law. To God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker of it with you. Know ye not that they who run in a race run all? But one receiveth a prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I myself, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That 27th verse is a remarkable verse. I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. Another translation says, I beat my body into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. We're considering night, tonight the subject, the secret of stick The secret of stick In the training union hour tonight, I asked the folks there to help me preach. I asked them to write down why they think people quit. You know, there's a staggering fallout. Terrible tragedy across the board in Christendom. Someone said there are a thousand Baptist preachers that quit preaching every year. Sometimes it's because the church didn't want to go forward, didn't want to move, and so they got rid of the preacher. Sometimes because they didn't have enough money to live on, take care of their families. 
Sometimes because they got discouraged and just quit. If there are a thousand Baptist preachers that quit preaching every year, how many Baptists and other Christians do you think just quit serving God every year? Tens of thousands. And I want to talk tonight about the secret of stick to That means keep on keeping on, go on going on, never quitting. And so I asked these folks in the training union to write down what they think are reasons why people quit. Here's some. When you try your best and pray and do all you know to do and still fail with nothing going right for you, or you try to do so much and after a while you get so tired and just want a small break and this small break just leads to quitting other things, even God and His church. I'd say amen to that. There are a lot of folks that fall out over that. Here's somebody else that said, a profession only, no possession. Influenced by examples of Sunday morning Christians. Not ground enough in the scripture. Unable to withstand the pressures. New Christians uh, need time given more responsibility than they are equipped to handle and they get discouraged. Isn't that something? What do you think of these things? Would you say that these are some reasons why people quit? If we had to vote on it tonight, I think it'd get a unanimous vote. And so tonight I want to give you five statements that will enable us, if we'll take them seriously, to not quit. When I was a little boy in the junior department of our training, right after I got saved, Mrs. Finley Gibson used to lead that junior department. And she taught us a little course. Don't, don't, don't you get weary, don't, don't, don't you get weary, don't, don't, don't you get weary working for the Lord. No, I ain't got weary yet, no, I ain't, no, I ain't got weary yet, no, I ain't, I've worked for the Lord. For a long, long time, but ain't got weary yet. Now, there's another little chorus that goes like this. Go on going on, Christian, go on going on, and so on. As we think of these five statements, remember what Paul said. He said, my main thrust is that I might win somebody to Christ. That's the big thing that I've saved for. If you read carefully that scripture, the thing that bothers him lest he become a castaway is that he lose sight of that one big purpose in life. And so, first of all, we have to have a purpose. And we have to accept that purpose. The convictionless, purposeless, compromising crowd is in jeopardy day by day of quitting. Someone has said Christians are a little bit extremists. That's true. That's true. I suppose if you really want to honor the King Jesus, you have to be a little bit extreme, a little bit excessive. Now the world doesn't like that. And they'll do everything they can in humanism and humanistic reason and rationale to try to say, don't get so excited about this thing of the Christian faith. Remember, you live in a world and you have to be involved day by day by day in the workaday world. In the early years of the Christian faith, 
they would tell those uh, Christians to offer incense to idols. Many of them did. They went away. But there were some stalwarts of the faith who when they were told you have to offer incense to idols, they'd say, I can't do that. And someone would say, well, no, you don't really have to mean it in your heart. You just have to do it. Just do it physically. It doesn't, you don't have to do it in your heart. They said, I can't do that. The Lord God is my God. I'll not offer incense to anyone. And they said, if you don't, you won't live. And you know what their stalwart Christian's answer was? Must you live? Must you live? We must have a purpose for our Christian faith, a purpose in living. And that one purpose will drive us on, on, on to faith. And do you know what that one purpose will also do? It'll, be, it'll, it'll anchor us. I have never seen a valid, valuable, spiritual, soul-winning, tithing Christian who couldn't decide where to go to church. I think I'll go here today, go somewhere else tomorrow. I think I'll go visit somewhere else tonight, go visit somewhere else next Sunday, go somewhere else. Once in a while, I'll come here. They've lost sight of their purpose. They've got their eyes on people instead of the purpose for which we were saved. And Paul said, this one thing I do, one big thing, lest I should be a castaway. I've become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. That's the big, big purpose. Now let's think of reasons why. Uh, some, 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 I want to give you five statements that will enable us to not give way to faithlessness and disloyalty and all those things. You know, one of the persons wrote in here, a person accepts a large amount of work to do for the Lord and then he gets weary in it and he says, well, I'm going to quit this for a while. I'll just quit it. And in quitting that, pretty soon he finds himself free and it lowers his spiritual sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and he feels free to go here and here and miss some time, miss some time, go somewhere else, visit around and so on. And after a while, he's in a backslidden condition, doesn't even know it. And he's going away from God. We had a man in our church many years ago. He's a powerful, powerful man for Christ. One of the greatest men I ever worked with. I went soul winning with him. We were soul winning partners. He worked with RAs, he taught Sunday school, he did various things in the work. He was a deacon, served God, and one day he came and said, well, preacher, I'm going to have to give up the RAs. And I said, well, why do you have to give them? I'm too busy, too busy. I reminded him, I said, now when you give that up, you have to fill your life up with something else or you, you have a vacuum there. He didn't do it. Kept on coming Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, would visit. After a while, he came and said, Preacher, I can't visit any longer. I'm too busy. I've got too many things to do. I'm just, I'm just too busy. He dropped that out. After a while, I noticed he wasn't there on Wednesday night. After a while, I noticed he wasn't on Sunday night. After a while, I noticed he came to Sunday school and left after Sunday school and didn't stay for church. And they just dropped out. He had had an old problem years before of alcohol. 
and he got back on it. His life got messed up, got away from God. You say, was he saved? I would say, I'll meet him in heaven. I believe that with all my heart. One day early in the morning, his wife called and said, he's had a heart attack. He's gone. Tragedy. Tragedy. Paul said, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to be a castaway. I don't want to be a somebody that used to be something. I want to go on going on. So the first thing, the first statement I want to make, be sure there's a real experience of salvation. Be sure you're saved. There's no way an unsaved person can put up with the pressures of this world and the flesh and the devil and all the things that come our way and all the schedules we have to keep. There's no way an unsaved person can keep at it without eventually saying, I'm just going to throw in the towel and quit. And there are a lot of quitters because they've never been saved. And we need to examine our own heart. I need to examine mine. You need to examine yours. Do you know for sure you're saved? That's one reason I love Dr. J. Harold Smith. And I want you to pray for him. His wife has had a stroke. And he's had to be home with her right now. Pray for that dear man. One reason I love him is when he preaches God's three deadlines, he makes everybody, the preachers, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, everybody examine his salvation. Are you sure you're headed for heaven? And from time to time, we've had people who have served God, apparently, for a long time. We've walked down the aisle and said, I've never been saved. And then sometimes people who get so confused in their heart as they think of that, they look at all their experiences they have and they come and they say, well, I don't know whether I've been saved or not. And then as they rethink it, it causes them to get their anchor more deeply affirmed in the Word of God. And they know they're saved. I like that. You and I need to test that thing over and over and over again. Wouldn't it be an awful thing to spend 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the church singing and teaching and working and get to the judgment of God and hear the word, depart from me, I never knew you. Wouldn't that be unthinkable? Jesus said that it'll be like that. You say to me, Lord, Lord, many will come in that day and say, I cast out demons, I did good works. And he'll say, I never knew you, depart from me, because you never had Christ in your heart. A person who never has Christ in his heart can't stick to it. So the very first statement, be positive beyond the shadow of a doubt, you're saved. And if there's any question in your mind or heart about that tonight, settle it before you leave this auditorium. Say, how do you settle it? You come to God in humility and say, Lord, I've had questions in my mind. I don't know whether they're from the devil. I don't know whether they're there from the pressures of life. I don't know whether they're there because I haven't lived loyally for you. I don't know why they're there, but I have them. And I want to get it straight. If I've never been saved, I ask you to save me tonight. And I guarantee you, God will show you whether you've been saved or not. The Holy Spirit will witness in your heart and assure you. Number one, be sure you're saved. A real experience of salvation. Number two, (coughs) be sure you understand sanctification. You say, preacher, that's a pretty big doctrine. How could I ever understand it? Well, here I want to give it to you real simply. Look in your Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, and here's what it means. The word sanctification is not mentioned here, but this is exactly what it means. What? 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom ye have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Remember, you belong to another. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you gave your rights away. That's the reason I don't put much stock in these protests. I guess we have reasons to protest, but I don't put much stock in them. I appreciate the way the, the ladies did out here on Scottsville Road on Sanctity of Life Day. They just went and held some signs about life and, the, and so on. I appreciated that. Some of our people did that, and I appreciated that. That wasn't a protest. That was just a, a statement, just standing there, a testimony, a quiet testimony. But waving banners and waving flags and carrying a bunch of things around and so on, I don't know that you need to do that. But you do need to remember that you don't belong to yourself. You don't belong to this flesh. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the devil. You don't belong to the crowd. And wife, even though you have a unique relationship to a husband, you don't belong to him. You belong to God. And husband, even though you have a unique relationship and loyalty and faithfulness to that wife, you don't belong to her. You belong to God. He is first. And sanctification means you've swapped ownership. Whereas once you belonged to yourself and you did whatever you wanted to do, when you give your heart to Christ, you get sanctified. The Holy Spirit sets you apart for God. You're God's property. You don't belong to yourself anymore. And you need to remember that. And if we can remember that, we're not going to quit. Remember, I'm not my own. Get up on Sunday morning, I think I'll sleep in. Oh no, you're not your own. You belong to another. Lord, what do you want me to do? Sunday night comes, well, I think I'll just go fishing. I think I'll go to boating, I'll go to races, or I'll go sit home and watch television. Some of the best programs come on on Sunday night. Or I think I'll go visit another church. I'll just do around, go do this and that and the other. Oh, wait a minute. You belong to another. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, what would thou have me to do? You know, for a person to go visit around a lot of churches, it reminds me of a husband that goes visits around a bunch of other women. No woman with half right sense would put up with that. You see, when you, when you get into the Lord's church, it's sort of like a marriage relationship. You're part of God's church at this place. And this is God's church for you. And you get unhappy and you start visiting around other churches. The problem is you might like it. Just like a man that visits another woman, he might like her. Don't ever forget that, wives. Don't forget that, husbands. You cannot afford the luxury of looking at some other man or some other woman. You might like them because you've got enough flesh and Adamic nature in you. Same way with somebody that's part of God's church. If you've cast your lot with the people of God at that place, be there. You don't belong to yourself. You belong to Christ. Christ is your Lord. Christ is the boss. Christ is in charge. Sanctification means two things. Number one, you've swapped ownership. No longer do you belong to yourself. You belong to God. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you as a down payment or as an earnest of that faith. And then he begins to lead you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the other part of sanctification. It means growing in Christ likeness. 
Ten years after you're saved, you ought to look more like Jesus than you did the day you got saved. Ten years after you're saved, there ought to be less prejudice in your life. Ten years after you're saved, there ought to be more holiness in your life. Ten years after you're saved, there ought to be more faith in your life. Ten years after you're saved, there ought to be more loyalty to Jesus. Because you're growing in Christ's likeness. And if you find that you're stymied along the way and that isn't happening, get along with the Holy Spirit and He'll show you. He'll talk to your heart. He'll reveal to you what to do about it. The secret of stick to itness remember who owns you. You say, wait a minute, I didn't bargain for that. I didn't want anybody to own me. Well, then you, came the, you didn't come to Christ the right way. You see, when you come to Christ, you know what you have to confess? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? Say it. Say it, start over again. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus. That's elementary, that's where it starts. And if you didn't bargain for that, if you didn't want Jesus to be your Lord, then back to the old world and back to the old things, and you may go there. But see, Jesus is Lord. He's the boss of our lives. That's what sanctification means. He belongs to you and you belong to Him. Look in 1 Peter chapter 3 for just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15. Listen to that. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Thirdly, the secret of stick to it is to be sure you're saved, a real experience of salvation. Number two, remember who owns you. Remember the, the meaning of sanctification, that you don't belong to yourself any longer. Thirdly, see the stratagems of the devil. See the stratagems of the devil. I'll tell you, Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he hates you. He hates me. He wants to drag us down and hurt us and destroy us and lay our honor in the dust. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, who is sufficient for these things? In 2 Corinthians 2, 11, lest Satan should get an attack an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. What is Satan's strategy? Look in 2 Corinthians 4. But if our gospel, beginning with verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. The devil is a liar. And he will do everything under the sun 
to hurt you and destroy you and disturb you. You remember Job. The Bible tells us in chapter 1 that he was a godly man. The Bible uses the word perfect, which means mature. Perfect man. He hated evil, loved righteousness. And the devil came before God and said, Aha, God, I see this guy over here, Job. The only reason he serves you is because you let everything go good for him. He has all he needs. His children are doing fine. Has a lot of wealth and has everything. You just let some tough things happen to him. I'll show you how he'll act. You don't know the conversation that goes on in the devil's mind. And the devil said that to God. And you know what God did? You listen. God said, all right, devil, I'm going to show you how a godly man will be in affliction and, and, and trouble. You can't touch his body. You can't kill him. You can't hurt his spirit. But you can hurt those around him. And so the day came when a runner came and said, Mr. Job, Mr. Job, there's been a, a terrible, terrible problem. <coughs> and the armies have come and marched against your place. And they've, they've taken your, your farm and they've taken all the things that belong to you. And your children are all dead. And Mrs. Job said, well, you old fool, you've been a religious nut all your life. And we'll curse God and die. Commit suicide. Get out of it all. This all this stuff you had about religion. The dearest person to his life, his wife, said that. Paul said, we're not ignorant of Satan's strategies or devices. That's the way the devil works on you. He tries every way he can. Now, if you want to be, avoid being a quitter, if you want stick to this in your life, recognize the devil's strategies. When some problem comes, rejoice in it. Somebody told us in Training United about a, some terrible calamity that they had, and they said, it was Reetha, I believe, telling us all kinds of problems with her car and the insurance and her own physical condition and all those things. And the car smashed into her and had an accident. And she said, I knew that I was supposed to thank God in all these things. And she said, now, Lord, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know how to thank you for these things. I know I'm supposed to, so I'm going to try it. <laughs> she kept on going on. She didn't quit. She had enough to curl up in a knot and die. She had enough to say, well, I, my car isn't working. I can't get to Bowling Green. I'm here in Nashville. I've had a terrible accident. Call on the phone and get somebody else to take my place. Well, she didn't do that. She got another car and came on up here. See, when you realize the devil's strategies... When you realize what he's doing, he's trying, to, he's trying to hurt you. And if he can hurt you and you give in to him, then you're prey to going away from God. You want to avoid it? I'm giving you some spiritual medicine tonight. A prescription I hope you'll take. Number one, be sure you're saved. Number two, remember who you belong to. You don't belong to yourself. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. Third, remember the strategies of Satan. Remember what he does. He wants to hurt you. He never wants to help you. Concerning whether to do a certain thing or not to do a certain thing, somebody said, if there's a question about it, don't do it. 
Through the years, we've heard young people say, well, what's wrong with dancing? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? If there's a question about it, don't do it. That's the safest way. Because Satan wants to slip on your blind side. Well, look, everybody else is doing it. No other preacher preaches like that. They don't tell you anything wrong with that. Well, God put you here to hear it. I don't know why. As long as you and I are together, that's what you're going to hear. Amen. God bless you anyhow. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to warn you of Satan's strategies and how he wants to pull you down and, and disassociate you from the things of God. Fourthly, sing the songs of salvation and of Zion. Look in Colossians 3.16 a moment. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You want to stick to it? You want stick to it in this in your life? You want, you want stability? You want to keep on keeping on? Then sing the songs of Zion. And listen to the songs of Zion. Thirty years ago, I don't know, I may be mistaken, but I don't remember Christians ever being divided over music, ever. You'd go to one church, they'd sing Amazing Grace. You'd go to another church, they'd sing Amazing Grace. You'd go to another church, they'd sing Amazing Grace. The only churches that didn't do that were, were high uh, liturgical churches, but they always sang chants or something, you know. But today, among evangelical churches, you go into one church, they and they get a little thing, and they get real breathy. Oh, just like the world. Now, beloved, sing the songs of Zion. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You say that's old-fashioned. Then I'm old-fashioned. I believe that's scriptural. What are psalms? Those beautiful psalms in the Bible. The joy of, sing this with me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 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 That's a song. Nothing wrong with that. It's a wonderful song. The other psalms, there are other psalms like, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That's a song. Secondly, Hymns. What is a hymn? A hymn is a praise to God. Come thou almighty King, come thou fount of every blessing, holy, holy, holy. Almost every Sunday morning we some, sing some great hymn. How great thou art, how great thou art. Those are solid hymns. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. 
Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I love him better every live long day. I love him better every live long day. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Alas, and did my Savior bleed. Those are testimony songs. Those are good songs. And when you start getting out there and using the world's beat and the world's music and try to put religious words to it, you're on your way out. It doesn't raise strong Christians. Dr. Lee said we preach sermons, not sermonettes, and we raise Christians and not Christianettes. Incidentally, it's really hard to preach 10 minutes. Thank you for your patience. You can't grow strong Christians on 10-minute little ditties. And I believe in preaching the Word of God. Honor the preaching. I believe in singing. Half the service ought to be singing. The other half or three-fourths ought to be preaching. So you have a more than half, more than a whole service. Service and a half every time you meet. But you see, sing the songs of Zion. God will bless us if we do that. Fifthly, and this is the last thing, look beyond the visible and see the invisible. Look beyond the visible and see the, the invisible. The secret of stick to why are you doing what you're doing? Is because the preacher said to? It's because the deacon said to do it? Because the Sunday school teacher told you to do it? Because the choir leader told you to do it? Because your mother said to do it? Some people come to church only because their mother's telling them to do it, their daddy's telling them to do it. And then as they say, they're saved. Tell you, I wouldn't be here tonight if my old mean mother hadn't made me come. Shame on you. If you're saved, you may not be saved. But if you're saved, look beyond the visible. God gave that mother to you, or God gave that preacher to you, or God gave somebody to you to remind you to be part of God's family when God's family meets. Look beyond the visible and see the invisible. See the Lord. See what's behind it all. Why are you doing what you're doing? You see, you can quit. You can quit if you just did it for the preacher. You can quit if you just did it for mother. I'll tell you, I had such a mean old mother. She made me go to church when I was little. I'll never go to church again. She made me go all the time. seeing beyond the visible. You're not seeing the invisible. Why do you do what you do? Why do you keep at it? Is the Holy Spirit real to you inside? Do you go on going on because you have something inside your heart, a fire in your bones. Jeremiah went through a time when he wanted to quit. He was discouraged. He had preached 40 years and nobody got saved. Nobody changed. The people didn't repent. He said, Lord, you've deceived me. You called me over and you said, before I was born in my mother's womb, you had a purpose for me. You were trying me to be a prophet to the nations. And now, Lord, I've tried to do it. And they, they speak against me. They put me in dungeons. And they, they arrest me. And they, they treat me mean. I'm just going to quit. It's 
in the 20th chapter of Jeremiah. But then he said, wait a minute, I can't quit. The word of God is in my bones like a fire. I can't quit if I want to. He saw the invisible. He looked beyond the visible. I want to ask you tonight to look beyond the visible. Look beyond those pressures that are keeping you keeping on. You say, well, the reason I have to keep on is because they're depending on me. No, it isn't. It's because he's depending on you. The reason I can't do certain things is because I'm somebody to tell on me. No, it isn't because he knows where you are all the time. The reason I have to keep on doing this is because I'm my own dad and whip me if I didn't. No, that's not the reason. You've got the answer to God, little boys and little girls. You need to see the invisible. Look out there and see him. He's the one I love. He's the one I love. He's the one we serve. You want to stick to it? Be sure you're saved. Remember whose you are. Remember the strategies of Satan. Sing the songs of Zion. And look beyond the visible. And see him as he beckons us on, 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 on. And hear his words, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life. And pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truth of the word of God. We pray that God's people would receive spiritual strength from what has been said tonight. I pray that you'd rebuke the devil who even now is trying to get on somebody's shoulder and whisper in their ear and get them all upset and mixed up. Lord, rebuke Satan. And we pray that God's people will say by the grace of God, I want to stick to it. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I don't want to be a castaway. And I'm going to go on until I hear one day the well done of Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. We're going to sing, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, number 361. Hear my cry. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. While we sing this, if God's Holy Spirit has stirred your heart, talk to your soul about anything, do what he told you to do. There may be someone here who's just been right on the brink of quitting. Just quitting. Well, listen, if you're doing it because somebody asked you to do it, you can quit. But if you're doing it because of him who is invisible, because he's the Lord, you can't quit. Stick to it that this comes by recognizing who the Lord is. His greatness, His honor. We've been praising Him tonight in song and testimony. It's been a wonderful evening. The Word of God is so clear. Beloved, ask the Holy Spirit to put a seal on your heart so that there won't be a waywardness of even hankering after quitting after you've had a good drink at the fountain of life. Whatever God has said to you, do it. 
And maybe you can settle right where you stand. Maybe you need to come and kneel at the altar. Maybe somebody needs to rededicate his life to Christ. Maybe someone needs to confess something to somebody that they've held against them. Get it right. 